Welcome to Gateway's podcast. We hope God speaks to you through this message from Pastor Don Brock. For more information about Gateway, please visit www.gatewaybc.com. Thank you, Jeremy and the worship team and for leading us today. And those of you who are welcome, uh, who are joining us online, we're glad that you're here and glad that you're a part of our service today. And, and, uh, I hope that if we can help you in any way, you let us know how we can pray for you, uh, any information that you need. In fact, a lot of our life groups uh, meet online, and uh, so if if you're wanting to be a part of a life group, you just let us know, and we'll get you plugged in. Uh, We have been talking through Love Like That. It's a study we're doing on Sunday morning. Our children and our youth are uh, doing parts of this, and we've been doing this in a lot of our life groups. And we've been talking about how to be mindful of others and just to be aware and be mindful of those around you and what situations they're going through. Pay attention to the expression on their face and the emotions that they are having, that it might be a a green light for you to ask questions to, even if it's simply of, is there a way that I can pray for you? Uh, something that's non-threatening, just to open up conversation, to begin to talk with somebody. In other words, stay, don't stay so focused on you so that you can focus on others and, and pay attention to who God crosses your path with. And then as you are mindful of others, you, you've got to be willing to be approached approachable by others, that you've got to be willing to uh, allow people to come into your life and, and, and invade your space so that the purpose of is to minister to them and, and to be God to them, to be Jesus to them. Sometimes you may be the only voice of God that a person hears. And as you're mindful of others and as you're willing to be approached by others, it sets you up to make a difference in another person's life. And, you know, it, a lot of times people, when somebody just comes up to them and say, hey, it looks like you got a lot on your mind, can I pray for you? And you'd be amazed how most people are, first of all, thankful that you paid attention, but thankful that somebody shows some sort of care towards them. And so today we're leading up to the next thing that you do as you become mindful of others and as you become approachable to to others is that you become a grace giver to others. So that you're leading up to the whole purpose of this is that you become a dispenser of grace, not your grace, but God's grace that's in you, the grace that he has given to you. So if you're going to do that, then you need to be graceful. Your life needs to be full of grace so that you can share that grace with other people. And, and if you do this, then you begin to make a difference. And the more conscious we are of focusing on Jesus and being more like Jesus, then the bigger the difference we make in other people's lives who desperately need Jesus. And, and so let's look at some lessons from Jesus himself. Uh, there's a story in the Gospel of John, 
And Jesus had returned to the Mount of Olives. So if you come out of the eastern area gate of the wall of Jerusalem, down through the Kindred Valley, and and then you're kind of heading up into the Garden of Gethsemane where Jesus was arrested. That was one of Jesus's favorite places to pray. there's, There's several trees there even today that they know are old enough that they would have been a living tree when Jesus was there. You know, and to go and stand next to one of those trees and just kind of touch one of those trees, that just has a that just has a profound effect on you. And then Jesus made his way on up to the Mount of Olives, and that's actually where we're told that he's going to return to when he sets foot on earth, it's going to be at that spot. And so it says early the next morning He went back again to the temple. So he came down from the Mount of Olives through the Garden of Gethsemane. Maybe he had his morning quiet time in there. I don't know. And then he would have made his way up through one of the gates and probably the Eastern Gate, which is now closed. It's sealed up. And he would have made his way right up onto the Temple Mount, where it would have been this massive, that is this massive place there. And a crowd soon gathered, which it always did. You know, Jesus has been around a while. People, people wanted to know about what he was going to say. A lot of people came thinking maybe he is the Messiah. Some people came because they wanted to be healed. Some people came out of curiosity. Uh, some came uh, desperate for some answers about life. And some came to discredit him. Soon a, a crowd gathered and he sat down and taught them. As he was speaking, so right in the middle of his talk... The teachers of religious law and Pharisees. What a great combination. The religious people. They brought a woman who had been caught in the act of adultery. And they put her in the front of the crowd. And they said, teacher, talking to Jesus. This woman was caught in the act of adultery. The law of Moses says to stone her. So what do you say? Now, my first just logical question, if these guys were really concerned about the law of Moses and they were really concerned about keeping the law, which they broke themselves on a regular basis, and then it just seems logical to ask the question, where's the guy? Where's the man who was a part of this? Why wasn't he brought as well? Isn't he just as guilty? You see, it begins to chisel away at what their motives were. And um, just a little side thought, I'm wondering, the reason they didn't bring the guy is because he was a part of their, their group. Huh. I mean, maybe, just maybe he was one of them. I don't know. It doesn't tell us that. And they're testing Jesus. You see, if Jesus rejects the law of Moses, then his credibility would be gone. And if he held to the Mosaic law that she should be stoned, then his reputation for compassion and and forgiveness, that would be in question. Poor Jesus. (laughs) He looks trapped. But I'm not worried about him, are you? (laughs) I mean, Jesus 
kind of always seem to enjoy these kind of moments. And, and the Bible says that um, they were trying to trap him and to saying something that they could use against him. But Jesus stooped down and wrote in the dust with his finger. Now, yeah, what, what was he writing? I was always curious about that. The Bible doesn't tell us, so we can only you know, make up stuff. <laughs> and, and we can't hold to that this is what happened. But you know, some people have suggested maybe he's writing down the list of sins that these guys have committed. Or maybe he was writing down the names of some of the other guys in the group who had also had an adulterous affair with this prostitute. Or maybe he was doing something very spiritual, very profound, such as doodling. That he was just allowing his righteous indignation to to kind of calm down. You, you see, Jesus was a, a man of emotions. God is a God of emotions. And my guess is Jesus just kind of riled him that those that were most guilty of the law were accusing of someone else. That they could not see their own sins by focusing on the sins of others. And Jesus was indignant towards those who knew better. You guys know the law. You guys violate it all the time. You guys want to hide behind the law and you miss the whole point and the purpose of the law. The law shows our need for a savior. It was not there to condemn us, but it was there to direct us to Jesus. So whatever he was writing, the Bible says they kept demanding an answer. So he stood up again and he said, all right, but let the one who has never sinned throw the first stone. You see what he's referring to is to Deuteronomy chapter 13, where they're told that the witnesses of a crime were the ones that would start the execution. And only those who were not guilty of the same sin could participate. And guess what happened? He, he stooped back down again and wrote in the dust. And maybe he was writing down again their names. And when the accusers heard this, they knew the law just as well, I guess. They slipped away. They didn't march away, they cowered away. They slipped away one by one, beginning with the oldest. Maybe he had the most sins. Maybe he knew very well that they had been caught once again. And they all slipped away until only Jesus was left in the middle of the crowd with the woman. So the crowd was still there. They all surrounded Jesus to watch this gunfight. <laughs> then Jesus stood up again and said to the woman, "So, uh, where where are your accusers? Didn't even one of them condemn you?" "No, Lord," she said. And then the most profound words that Jesus said to her 
And he says to you and me on a regular basis, neither do I. Have you ever heard Jesus say those words to you? I have, and I've needed it. And I've also heard him say, go and sin no more. You see, Jesus was so completely graceful that his focus was not on the accusers, but on the accused. The one who had been caught, the one who had been shamed, the one had, who had been harassed. Are you caught in your sins? Have you been caught in your sins? Have you been shamed by your sins? Sure you have. All of us have. Have you ever been harassed for your sins? Because let me tell you, that is a whole different person. In Revelation chapter 12, here's what John recorded. John said, then I, I heard a loud voice shouting from the heavens. It has come at last, salvation and power and the kingdom of our God and the authority of his Christ, Jesus. For the accusers of the brothers and sisters has been thrown down to earth. The one who accuses them before our God day and night, the same accuser who stood before God and accused Job, the same accuser stood before God and accused this woman. And these religious guys, these teachers of the law, these Pharisees, they were agents of the accuser as they accused this woman. Have you ever been an agent of the evil one through your accusations towards another? I mean, even if you're right in what you say, has God given you that responsibility to be the accuser? The answer is no. And certainly the one who has the right to accuse us is God himself, but he chooses instead to give us grace. And so instead of being an agent of the evil one and being like the teachers of the law and the Pharisees and being the accuser of quickly wanting to point out the faults and sins in others, we need to be like the grace-filled Jesus and give that grace to someone who desperately needs it. And you see, that's when you say something to someone like this. I know you're struggling, and I can identify, because I've struggled with the exact same thing. Man, you can imagine how that makes somebody feel because a lot of times people, when they have a sin they're dealing with, they think they're the only one. And they struggle and they feel guilty and they feel dirty, they feel nasty, they feel, un they feel ashamed, they feel unworthy. And they need someone not to accuse, but to love and to be grace-filled so that they might share that grace. 
And Jesus said, neither do I. Go and sin no more. How many times have you heard those words? You're forgiven. Now go and sin no more. But when you do, you come back and there'll still be grace for you. Not that that gives me a license to go and do whatever I want knowing that I can go back to Jesus, but rather to know that his grace is sufficient. There's one second scene I want you to be aware of. And and this is the most challenging time of Jesus' life. This last, I mean, he's been arrested. He's been betrayed by his, not one disciple, but really all of his disciples. and, and, And he's been scourged to the point of death. He's been falsely accused. He's been spat upon. He's been beaten. He's had a crown of thorns jabbed into his, into his scalp. And, and then he's been nailed to a cross and within six hours, his body would become lifeless. Can you imagine what he's going through? And in the depth of his pain, in the depth of his, his most horrific situation and getting ready to experience the thing in the cup that he did not want to drink from. And that was for the first time in all eternity, there'd be a separation between God, the father and God, the son. And he was going to become sin and he didn't know sin and he was going to be sin and he was going to be as if he had committed the sin for you. And he was going to be all those things. And And imagine the emotional wreck that was upon him, not just physically wrecked, but emotionally and spiritually wrecked. And in that situation, when anybody had a right to think about themselves, in that situation, Jesus did not. And so he's being hung there between two criminals who deserve to be there. And one of the criminals in Luke chapter 23, it says one of the criminals hanging beside him scoffed. So you're the Messiah. Prove it by saving yourself and us too while you're at it. You see, these two men, you remember the story of Barabbas who just before this was brought before the people. Barabbas was a murderer. Barabbas was a leader of an insurrection that was happening in Rome and and he was going to be crucified and the crowd demanded that he be set free. These two criminals may have been part of that. There's some oral tradition that would suggest that they too were murderers and part of that insurrection and that Barabbas was gonna be the third person on the cross. And Jesus took that spot. And so the other criminal said, Don't you fear God even when you have been sentenced to death? He's like, man, you're going to be dead in the next so many hours. And, And do you not have any kind of fear of a holy God at the moment of death that you're going to face a holy God? He says, we deserve to die for our crimes, but this man hasn't done anything wrong. You see, the the beginning of wisdom, according to scripture, is the fear of God. And so this criminal 
who deserved death, just like you and just like me, he had a fear of holy God. So therefore, he was able, he was able to speak to Jesus with a sense of faith. And we know faith was there because we're told that only by faith can a person be saved. He said, Jesus, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus, in all of his anguish, said, I assure you today, you will be with me in paradise. Jesus responded to his faith. This man did not have time to walk down the aisle of a church and join a church. He did not have time to be baptized. He did not have time to be a part of a small group. He didn't have time to go to any kind of Bible study. He didn't have time for any of that. He just had moments of life left, but he called out to Jesus in faith and Jesus saved him. Even in the midst, Jesus who has the authority of life and death, Jesus who has the authority to grant salvation, freely and willingly gave it to him, even in his most desperate moment. I wonder how often you and I are available to somebody who's in desperate need of a fresh word from Jesus, but you and I are so caught up in our own mess and our own problems and our own issues that we don't even have time to be aware that they're there. But Jesus was. Jesus was the forgiving Messiah even as he died. He even asked God to forgive those who were actually killing him at the moment. Even in, Jesus, even in death, Jesus had power to make people right with God. The religious rulers mocked him. The soldiers sneered at him, the criminal crucified with him, insulted him. And now this one criminal, the last one saved by Jesus before his death, was saved by faith. He knew enough to fear God. And see, if you do not start with God, then your life is hopelessly detoured. You start there. So let me encourage you to do a few things. One, decide that you will be Jesus to others. Make that a conscious decision. I want to be Jesus to others because that's the job Jesus has given to us. He's made us his ambassadors. We represent him. So you decide that you want to be Jesus to others. And secondly, ask the Holy Spirit to prepare you each and every day. You start out your day with the Holy Spirit, asking him to let you be Jesus that day. And I want to tell you, when you pray a prayer like that, Lord, let me be Jesus today to people who desperately needs to hear who Jesus is. Do you think that that doesn't perk up the ears of the Holy Father and that he does not long to answer that kind of prayer and that he will put people in your path? If you prepare yourself and you ask to be used by God, he is going to use you. 
So you begin your day and say, hey, I want to be Jesus to people today. Lord, prepare me for these moments. Let me be aware, whether it's somebody I know or a total stranger. Let me be sensitive. Let me be sensitive to your spirit. When your spirit tells me to ask a certain question, that I'll ask a certain question. When your spirit tells me to give a word of encouragement, to offer to pray, that I'll be obedient to that. Let me be sensitive to your spirit. And when you start like that, number three becomes very easy. You anticipate that God's going to use you, that God's going to answer your prayer, that the Holy Spirit's going to guide you. He's going to cross paths with people for you that day. He's going to use you because you've asked him to. That's the kind of prayer God loves to answer. So when you ask that prayer, you can better believe he's going to answer it. And then lastly, thank God for the grace he's given to you and that you become full of grace so that you can dispense that grace to others. And when somebody comes to you and you can see that they're down and you can see that they're troubled and you can talk to them and they begin to share their life that you don't have to sit there and put shame on them. They already have that shame, but rather you put grace on them so that their shame can flee away so that they can have faith in holy God, that they can be encouraged by you, that they can know that someone do, does care about them and you can tell them, that it's not you, but someone that lives in you. And his name is Jesus. So ask yourself this question. Who do I need to be Jesus to this week? Who do I need to be Jesus to this week? I want us to have a time of prayer and pray for yourself to pray for this week that you will have a graceful life and that God will use you in a powerful way to touch a person's life, to show them that they can be forgiven, to show them that they can get back on track, to give them hope, to give them encouragement, to let them know that there is a Savior that loves them and, and that is willing to forgive them and that it's not too late. You could tell them the story, hey, let me tell you about a person that was saved just hours before they died. And you can tell them about the thief on the cross. Let me tell you about the person who was caught in adultery and it was humiliated in front of the whole town and how Jesus saved her. Let me tell you about the author of grace, the inventor of grace, the dispenser of grace. And he so wants to give you what you can never earn and you'll never deserve. And I know it firsthand because I received it myself. So let's pray.